0: Hey hey, good afternoon. I got the double mics in the house and JD is with us as well. Welcome everyone to office hours. It's a great afternoon on more good news Wednesday. We get a little bit rowdy, especially when both mics are here. Mike and the incredible dose of positivity himself and Michael unbroken. It's hard to break what's unbroken. That's what I always say. That's why I invite Michael unbroken here. He is always showing up for us, Mike and it's a great compliment. But we are here to honor Justin Donald, CEO and founder Lifestyle Investor, uh, been uh, on his podcast, Lifestyle Investor. And I wanna start, the obvious uh, question is, uh, Justin, by the way, let's start here. Welcome to Office Hours.
1: Thanks, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and and hang with all you guys.
0: Good, well, I hope you have a seatbelt on that chair because it gets a little bit rowdy on Wednesday. These guys look calm. But it's about to get crazy as usual. Um, Anyway, uh, as a lifestyle investor, they seem to be oxymorons, uh, that most investments uh, aren't really conducive to uh, a more lifestyle approach to it. You know, it's very serious. There's a lot of risk to mitigate. There is a lot of trust and vetting going on. There's a lot of scarcity involved. What are some of the aspects of being a lifestyle investor?
1: yeah, I mean I think you bring up a great point. I do think most investments that are out there uh, just in general are not good investments, and most uh investments in general are not going to lead to a lifestyle that is you know uh, i guess incredibly enjoyable or or one where you can truly live life on your terms. So, yeah, I do think you need to kind of seek out, have an investment criteria of what's important to you and uh, seek out investments that support that, uh, you know, that intentionality and what life should look like. You know, instead of being on autopilot, and by the way, I lived on autopilot for a long time as an entrepreneur. it's way more fun to live intentionally and, and actually, you know, plan out what you want life to look like and, and have goals and have dreams and check them off, you know, as the year goes by and have investments or investment income that supports
2: that, uh, that life. Justin, you said that when you went back, like most investments aren't a good investment and in most for your lifestyle. Um, I, I know what you're saying, but for people listening, they're just going to be like, oh, oh, oh. Is it because people don't, like you said, unintentional, but they don't do the research themselves and they just take all this information in, they're easily conned without actually studying and reading. So for people listening, what would you suggest would be the first thing before they invest in anything, what's their first strategy so they don't make a bad investment?
1: Yeah, I think it's really important. I mean, you bring up a great point, Mike, because the last 10 years, Everyone who's touched anything has seemed to do well. And so they think they're good. People who have invested with them think they're good. We're probably going to see some more turbulent times and a lot of these investments go bad. And I think a lot of people are going to learn lessons the hard way. I like learning them the easy way through other people. And I do think that when you surround yourself with those that have experience, that uh, have a track record that their track record spans beyond just a frothy last decade, right? Where they've gone through some sort of economic uh, turmoil, they've gone through a recession, uh, they've gone through something—at least one, ideally even two—and figured out how to weather that storm. Like that, to me, is it you? You want to kind of you, you want to hitch to the people that have the experience, that have the track record, that have gone through. Uh, a down economy and have figured out how to perform well in that economy and that's where you want to get educated that's where you want to get deal flow
3: yeah justin i I totally agree from that uh you know david always talks about the dummy tax and that to me is so much about let me just not do what that guy did because it will save me a tremendous amount of effort energy time and money Um, one of the things that i think people are terrified kind of looping back in what mike said in the beginning of investing and trying to create a life that that leads them to financial freedom to wealth whatever um, where do you really start with investing because I think most people are like I don't have thirty thousand I don't have fifty thousand I don't have a hundred thousand like where's the best place to start investing
2: well
1: I think uh, really it kind of depends some people they probably are in a place where they have more time and they want to get the best return that they can get. And then you've got other people that are busy with their job, their business life. So they don't have a lot of time, but they want to get a return, but they're okay with it. You know, not maximizing the return, having someone else kind of run point for them, you know? So for me, I've found, I mean, the way I got into everything, uh, investing was really through just real estate, finding some cash flowing assets and uh, starting small and, and having it grow over a period of time. Uh, I think there's a lot of real estate, uh, you know, and when I say, like, let's say real estate rentals or cash flow real estate. So I don't like to buy things and hope that they appreciate over time. I like to buy things where it makes enough money now to cover the debt service. And uh, that way, if we do get into a tough economic season, then I'm never forced to sell it because I got enough money coming off the asset to pay for it, to cover it, right? So that to me is a good way to do it. And if you don't have the money to buy it on your own, then you can pool with other people or you can invest in a syndication or a fund that a professional management company, a professional sponsor or general partner is running who has the track record. And you can get a return there uh, with a lesser amount of invested capital.
0: You know, Justin, you talk about uh, how you like to invest in, you know, especially today, if something cash flows today, because of where interest rates are and the market is most likely, historically, uh, it's going to cash flow in the future as well. So it's a good time to understand cash flow and the assumption of loan as well as credit facilitation on businesses that own properties where you can leverage the lines of credit from the business where the property is inclusive. Uh, another form of financing. Uh, But what comes to mind when you talk about lifestyle investment is you have to know what the lifestyle is. And one of, I think, the biggest tragedies of my own investment at a young age of how I lost over $100 million is that with all the investing I had in real estate and stocks and bonds and businesses and funds and friends and all the things I thought I was a genius about, If somebody would have asked me, David, what's your timing and risk tolerance? I wouldn't have been able to answer it. And when I saw the term lifestyle investment, I immediately said, now there is someone that has to determine what your lifestyle is and what you want it to be. And in accordance, you need to find out what your timing and risk tolerance is aligned with the lifestyle you want. Mike wants a different lifestyle than Michael. Michael wants a different lifestyle than I. And therefore, our timing and risk tolerance are different variances in our decision-making process. How do you help people? uh, Because it's a question I get a lot. How do I determine my timing and risk tolerance in accordance to my lifestyle that I have and that I want?
1: Well, I think it's important for everyone to come up with their own investment criteria, which is just a list of why you will or why you won't invest in something. Like what are you looking for? So that way you don't make emotional decisions, you make logic-based factual decisions from a place where you uh, came up with this criteria uh, when you weren't in an emotionally, you know, uh, let's just call it a crazy place. And, And no one really feels like they're there, but the moment the economy tanks, uh, whether you realize it or not, most people, that's when they make the worst decision. So I think having that investment criteria uh, ahead of time, knowing what it is like, do you want cash flow? Like, Do you need passive income or are you looking for a bigger return where uh, hopefully you can get a 3x or a 4x in a period of time and the cash flow isn't important today? Are you looking for deals that if it goes bad, you can get your money back? You're not going to lose money. Or are you looking for deals that are more risky than that, where there's a huge upshot, but you could lose it all? So it's like, we got to get clear on what those look like. And then for most people, it's just a simple blocking and tackling exercise. What does it cost you to live on a monthly basis? And how do we get the passive income to exceed that monthly cost? And it's not as much as people think. You don't have to have $10 million in the bank to be... Uh, financially independent, you know, I had financial independence before I ever had a million dollars saved up. Uh, and so it, it can happen a lot easier and it can happen step by step. And, and it's as simple as, hey, let's cover my first utility with passive income. Okay, let's cover the mortgage. Let's cover a car payment. And and you just kind of work up from there.
2: Justin, when when, it, when something goes south, how do you teach people to pivot, not take it personal, and just recover? Because most people – Like you said, like some people can't suffer the winters and they think it's always going to be summer and when the winter strikes and we all know it's cyclical, how do you teach people? It's okay, now regroup and move on to the next thing.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to realize that if you are investing money, you're going to lose money at some point in time. That is inevitable fact, like that is going to happen. No one gets it right every time. So part of the lessons learned that uh you learn the best are the ones where it really you know it's a sucker punch to the gut right it's it's a tough (laughs) lesson but you learn the lesson because it hurts so bad right i mean obviously it's better if we can learn that from other people doing it and learn from their pain and their misery but uh in some instances you just have to experience it yourself because sometimes we think we know more than we really know
0: all the times (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so
3: true. Uh, Justin, one of the things I was thinking about as you said that, I mean, even in entrepreneurship, man, it's like recently built this m- giant seven-figure business, things hit the wall, having reset, rebuild. My mindset immediately went to something you said a moment ago. It was like, how do I pay the rent? How do I pay the car payment? How do I pay the coaching bill? Like, and things like that. I think many people fail to realize like this whole process is about starting small and they're like, I'm not making a hundred million dollars a year yet. What's the point? What is the mindset shift that people need to have to recognize that that is exponential and compounding and that the light bill today equals the mortgage tomorrow?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a total habits play. It's, it's habits, it's rituals. It's um, it's, what what you do now with the amount of money you make is going to be what you do when you have a lot of money so a lot of people say oh that's easy when you have a lot of money you can do this well no i'll make the argument if you you are not charitable today you will probably not be charitable when you have a lot of money um charitable people find a way to do it today with what they make and then it continues and they become more charitable as they make more so it's these habits these routines of saving a certain amount and, you know, even just uh, learning, uh, re- reading a certain amount in a book or having a cadence of getting together with people that are playing the game of life or business or investing or wealth building at a higher level than you and, and taking them to lunch. Whatever it is, it's, it's building those rhythms, those, those habits that are going to help support you because as more money comes in, it, it's going to follow your default patterns,
0: Yeah, and those patterns, uh, they aggregate exponentially, create outcomes, and accelerate. uh, It requires the persistence, but yet the patience as well. He is known as the Warren Buffett of lifestyle investing. He is a friend of mine, helping people understand how to get to where they want to be or better by utilizing daily practices and sticking to their values, understanding how to ask for help and where to ask for it. And one of those places is with Justin Donald. Check his podcast, The Lifestyle Investor. Check him out at lifestyleinvestor.com. Justin, please come join us again. Your wisdom is extremely valuable, especially today with so many people trying to figure out how to create the life they love. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining us.
1: Well, thank you. And do I have a moment to say one other thing?
0: Say whatever you want, man. I'll give you more than a moment. You can have like minutes.
1: So what I'd love to just say is we're entering a season where some of the greatest investments uh, can be made. I mean, we're, we're entering a wealth transfer that is the largest transfer of wealth in human history from baby boomers to millennials over the next 15 to 20 years. Let's call it 10 to even 15 years you've got um, somewhere between the, the the you know those that manage these numbers the experts say somewhere between 76 trillion and 106 trillion dollars are gonna change hands so the second wealthiest country in the world next to the USA uh, is China at 75 trillion dollars so think about like a wealth transfer that is the literally the largest wealth transfer ever uh, from people that own real estate own businesses a lot of these people are just gonna like, close their business or just their kids don't want it. There is ample opportunity in the next five, 10, 15 years for amazing investments. And so I just think it's important to keep your eyes open. That's what I would say, that you haven't missed the wave. The last 10 years was frothy and amazing. It might be a little turbulent, you know, here and there, but there's going to be great opportunities.
0: Yeah, be more interested than interesting. That's for sure. And another piece of advice for the baby boomers uh, if you don't fly first class, your children will. Justin Donnell, thanks for joining me. <laughs> You're awesome.
2: Oh, right. I love
0: it. I love yeah, that. my kids Thank hate you. that. You 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 love that. I we went to Europe. Uh, we went to Italy, and my kids were like, "Aren't we flying first class with you and mom? I'm like, not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna earn I it. Love that. Talking That's right. It. I love that, David. Right. If we don't fight first, you kids will when we're dead. And I'm not going to let that happen. My grandma (laughs) told me just before we bring Wendy on, it was one of my favorite lines ever. So I grew up super poor, as you know, and I'm in law school taking loans. And my aunt calls and said, Your grandma's dying. You need to come to Ohio. So I jump on a plane and uh, I show up. And, uh, you know, I'm her oldest grandson. And she's like, David, I just have to tell you, when I die, if there's anything left, and I have to tell you, at that age, my eyebrows kind of lifted. I'm like, "Oh shit!" You're like I didn't know they had anything. And she's like, "I've made a math mistake."
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> there's anything left? That's amazing.
0: <laughs> All right, it's time for the Wheel of Steel, and he/she is here, Wendy H. <laughs> Steel, CEO, founder of Impact One Hundred Global. You can check her out at wendyhsteel.com, and she has a book that everyone should read. And I'm certainly going to go and read it because I'm trying to figure this out. It's an invitation to impact. Uh, My mission is to impact over a billion people, to be happy by creating abundance, to make more money, help more people, and have more fun. But a lot of times I feel like I want it more than the people I'm trying to help. Uh, And she's giving the lighting, and she's lighting the path to the community transformation that's necessary today. Welcome to Office Hours, Wendy.
4: David, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, how can we with so much noise, so many different platforms of so much noise and so many people in so many areas with so many opinions, it's an incredible feat to think that we can have an impact, uh, let alone an impact on our community. Uh, What are some of the things that you're doing uh, to help light the path to creating that transformation that's necessary today to keep up with the accelerated change and the noise?
4: Yeah, that is a really good question, David. I'll tell you that so often the people that I meet, regardless of how much money they have in the bank account, where they are in their career, retired kids, no kids, none of that seems to matter. Universally, I meet people with this sense that what they have wouldn't matter and it it wouldn't make a difference. They don't either have enough to give, they don't know enough to make a good decision, or they're not really sure when they've been generous, they've donated to a charity or they've given back to an organization that they like, whether the money has done any good, whether the gift has mattered. And to me, it's really important, not necessarily to look back on what you've done before, but to look ahead and to recognize that what you have to give, whether you've got a really deep checkbook and you can write lots of big checks, or you're just starting out, that it not only will make a difference to the organization, to the people that you care about, that that you're going to give to, but it'll change your life as well. And that, is sort of the bonus transformation that comes when you help someone else.
2: That's amazing. Wendy, so you opened up in, started in 2001, correct? Yes. Was that pre or post uh, September 11?
4: You know, that's a, actually both, Mike. Um, I had the idea for what we know as Impact 100 in the summer of 2001. Now, I was a banker at the time. That was my day job, but I'd volunteered in the community, and I'd met a bunch of women who didn't see a path into community service, philanthropy, or civic engagement, and that summer, I was on vacation with my kids and just really troubled. I just kept hearing the voices of all the reasons why women weren't getting involved, and in a spiral notebook, I started to write those down and then one by one sort of overcome them and... What was on the page when I was finished is what we now know is Impact 100. Well, from my vacation, I'd made some calls to friends and and to experts. And so I was starting to sort of cobble together what would become the board. I got home from vacation, put the kids back in school, and 9-11 happened. Um, to, I mean, obviously, it, it was out of completely unexpected it was tragic although at the time i was living in ohio i had a lot of friends on the east coast and family there too so it took a good long minute to decide
2: yeah you know i I watched the towers come down from my apartment in new york and Uh, it changed my whole perspective of where i was going and so that's why I asked you because it, 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 it's had, when I mean, you've been around so long and you've watched the markets grasp a bad impact, that's why I was wondering what, how it made you feel emotionally whether to step in or pull back out. Because a lot of people yeah. ran from decisions. Yeah.
4: It took us a minute. Um, but by the end of October, I gathered those women and said, Are we in or are we out? And you obviously know the rest of that story. Yeah. So, yeah, tw- 20 years later.
3: Yeah, that, that's absolutely spectacular. And, and I think that one of the things I, I constantly I'm trying to wrap my head around is something you said where people feel like maybe their mission, their voice, their perspective doesn't matter, won't fuel a change, and, and they get caught up in the not enoughness, right? And, and we all start at one no matter where you are, no matter what you do, you start at one idea, one email, one text, one phone call that has led to the impact, which I mean, it's unbelievable, giving over $123 million, like that's insane. One of the things I'm curious about for people who they have this thought process of like, why bother? Why me? What do you tell them? Because what you've been able to do is transform literally the world in exponential ways. You probably can't even put into an equation, but people are like, I don't know what to do, so I'm just not gonna do anything. How do you help them change their mindset about doing something that is fulfilling, that will bring them joy, or even better, get to the point where maybe they can copy, mimic, and model you to go and build something spectacular as well?
4: well you are very kind thank you you know understand that that 123 million plus is because people around the world have said i'm ready to do this so it is a an accumulation of all all of those people but what i often say is if you're really troubled by a problem if there is maybe it's maybe you walk past a homeless person on your way to work or You understand there's food insecurity because your kids tell you about it at school. If there is a problem, something you see on the news, and it really bothers you, and you can't get it out of your head, in my opinion, that is sort of your your spirit telling you, this is a problem for you to solve. This is yours. Now, maybe you're not going to solve the whole thing. But you do what you can with what you have where you are. And the difference between wringing your hands and worrying about a problem and then going out and finding the people out there, there are heroes who are doing the heavy lifting, trying to solve those problems. Figure out who those people and organizations are and then ask them what they need. You know, sometimes we're afraid to ask because, gosh, what if they ask me for more than I can afford? Then you say, I can't do that, but here's what I can do. But have conversations. Find out what they need. Find out what they're doing and why it's working. What ends up happening is we pivot from being worried and concerned and stressed and you life feels out of control to suddenly understanding that we can be a part of the solution. Every single one of us, regardless of how deep our checkbook is, when we care enough To not just look at the problems, but to look at those people and organizations that are working really hard to change it, your drop on top of someone else's drop on top of someone else's big puddle of money really does change the world. And it really does allow those nonprofits to do the work that is so desperately needed
0: yeah you can't give more with less and it's important i utilize that as a sales training of finding an open mind uh, that has the open hearts and the open hands uh, by asking enough questions to find out would it help you if and a lot of people in the nonprofit side never get to that objective of being more interested in finding open minds with open hearts and open hands and just asking until they can figure out hey I have this capability, whether it's puddles of money or drips or just effort, would it help you if I was able to do this? And then that also is important because on the other side, it's, do you know anyone that could help me? Uh, And the one question that I have as we get into the last minutes here, um, I'm the chairman of Unstoppable Foundation. It's an international foundation, a global foundation. I'm also the chief chancellor of Junior Achievement University worldwide uh, with extraordinary thought leaders. And one of the difficulties I have here in America is describing what's important to give outside of the United States, especially as we have more awareness to all the issues that exist domestically. People don't see a significance of helping in Kenya or helping abroad in any sort of way when their own communities are suffering. Um, You are a global charity. You have four countries that you provide funds and, and help and services in. Uh, how do you best describe to people why we need to think globally when we're transforming our communities instead of just, and and some of us that's fine, instead of just locally or even domestically?
4: Well, I'll, I'll answer that in two ways. First, by saying that we're in four countries, but most donors are in the country where the money goes. So, So the model is very much sort of local people solving local problems. But I do believe that your question has a larger implication. And that is that sort of if you want to imagine that that giving locally is entry-level philanthropy often. Um, This is tangible. We can see it. We can understand it. Once it starts becoming something, and, and you'll often meet people who will say, I give to cancer research because I lost someone from cancer. I give to this because it matters to me at some some personally connected level. Once we though really start to understand the world and and we start to understand our place in it and we realize the global issues that can be many, many times more, not just desperate, but complicated and in dire need, then I think there will be a certain percentage of those philanthropists, of those donors, who see that bigger picture and feel like they can make a difference there. One of the chasms that they need to jump over is making sure they have trustworthy, ethical partners on the other end. And the organizations you talk about are those kinds of organizations that people can feel comfortable because there's a local presence, but a global reach
0: is the deal the hco.com is giving us all an invitation to impact she's lighting the path to community formation by giving back uh to our communities find the passion purpose and provide the profitability you cannot give more with less so make sure that we are giving receiving and witnessing thereof as well wendy please come back and join us again keep up the tremendous work and Mike. My- 120 million, she's just getting started. We'll wait till she's at 1.2 billion exponentially. So congratulations, keep up the great work.
4: Thank you, thank you so much for having me.
0: You're amazing, thank you. All right, our cleanup hitter is here and uh, he is waiting in the wings. Trevor Bogan is here, regional director of the Americas for Top Employers Institute, top-employers.com. Uh, and he is dealing with a critical business issue today, defined in many different terms. Uh, but yet it still exists before, during and after the pandemic, uh, finding and looking and retaining, uh, the right talent is the core of America's success. That's for sure. And the Employers Institute is a global authority, uh, understanding the excellence of the practices that people best align with to create more productivity, accessibility and gratitude. We have great gratitude, Trevor, for you taking the time to join us here on Office Hours.
5: Yeah, thank you so much, David. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, I'm a huge follower of yours. So definitely love to be on this and uh, I appreciate the time and, and definitely being able to help out the community. So uh, So looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Well,
0: I- I'm really interested in the certification program and what yeah. criteria are we looking at to certify people as a top employer uh, that not only retains but recruits uh, the best talent that can help us with a critical mission a business mission a collective consciousness to provide more money more help and more more fun in America or worldwide I should say hundred and twenty one yeah. <laughs>
5: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a great question. And so really what we do, we've been in the HR space for 30 plus years now. And what's really different, David, about our certification is we don't do an employee certification. So we're really around HR practices. Because at the end of the day, David, you know, HR is the foundation of the house with a lot of organizations. So what HR teams do consistently year in and year out, uh, day to day, month to month, that really shapes the organization as far as culture, employee engagement, and so on and so forth. So we are um, an HR practice certification company. And so we really base it around uh, you know 20 HR specific topics. And those things can include business strategy, leadership development, DEI, employee listening onboarding offboarding employee well-being so on and so forth and, and what we do with that survey then is we give organizations data real data and analytics things that tangibly they can look at to to rank them and score right so i think at the end of the day a lot of hr teams have these ideas and initiatives and challenges, but they don't have the data to support where they might have some opportunities or where they're doing really well. And so we provide organizations with that Because then that's going to help them strategize, right? It's going to help them see like, okay, if we do really well in well-being, but we're really short in leadership development, maybe we need to strategize our plans around leadership development because this is what we're looking at. And so what that gives them then is a way to benchmark their HR practices towards others in their organization, others in their sector, others in their industry, maybe their employee size, so on and so forth. And then that helps them internally align because what that data is going to show them is I can be in the US and maybe this is our score here, but then I can see the score in Spain, Italy, France, wherever I have offices, I can see how they're performing in these specific HR uh, specific programs or topics. And then we can really strategize around breaking silos down because I think what happens here a lot in the US is there's a lot of silos to their global internal colleagues. And so this gives them a way to really break those silos down, start communicating, hey, what, what are you doing well here that maybe you're doing well in Spain or Italy? What does that look like? What does that sound like? So then they can help internalize it and, and align their practices on a on a con- consistent basis. So employees can really feel value. They know that they're developing constantly and the HR teams are really putting and honing in on We want to evolve because, as we know, David, people are evolving now. They're different and they're changing all the time. So it's definitely a good conversation to have.
0: Very good.
2: Um, You're speaking about Spain, Italy. I was born in Australia. I mean, employees Mm -hmm. are a lot different in Australia than America because it's different, you know, with capitalism and socialism. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So the engagement is completely different. And I'll be honest, people in Australia don't work as hard as people in in America because – There's a lot more safety. You you know, in America, Mm -hmm. you walk into a job and you get fired. Do you know what I'm saying? So (laughs) you know what I'm saying? But that information's golden. How do you keep people that are constantly in fear? Because thing America's a a crazy place. it's Mm -hmm. there's a lot of fear and the economy's engaged and not always in fear? Because if you're in fear, you you don't want to be at work. You're engaged. You're always like reacting and you're not responding correctly. So how do you coach Mm -hmm. uh, HR teams to like
5: make sure everything's coherent? Yeah, I think it's really around leadership development, right? So I think leaders have a big part in this. So I think when your your leaders are really people-centric and not person-centric, they're really not getting to know their employees really well. And so what we're seeing and we're finding in a lot of the data that we work with our top employers is... Right now, you have to be really person centric. Everyone's going to be different. Right. And you have to be able to have those conversations. And how do leaders have those conversations? How can they be more empathetic? How can they ask those things around? You know, I grew up in a blue collar environment. I'm used to hard work. I'm used to everyone working the same as me. But that's not true with everybody. Right. So I have to empathize with everyone and really understand what they're going through, what they're looking at and look it through their lens and then provide support. So. I think the more that your employees have a voice and can talk about the struggles, challenges that they're going through, really what they need to be a productive worker, I think a lot of that fear goes away because I think the fear is all psychological. I think it's all just in their head sometimes around, you know, this is a different space. You know, we've got inflation. We have all these things happening. But I think if leaders have a positive spin on things like This stuff happens all the time, right? It's up and down. These things happen. But while I'm here to learn about you, I'm here to support you, and I'm here to help with your development or whatever you need from me. But let's sit down and have that conversation so I can understand that. And that might look different for you, Mike. It might look different for you, David. But I want to have those conversations then. So then that way, I can react in a way that's going to dissipate a lot of that fear that you have internally.
3: Mm. Great point. Trevor, one of the things I think about, my my background started in corporate very young. I worked for a Fortune 10 company when I was only 20 years old. And mm-hmm. I remember just a, a lot of the corporate training would be, and eventually I'd become Sigma Six certified and Franklin Covey certified and this certified and that certified. I'm like, Jesus, another certification. Give me a break here. But I'm actually really curious about something because I found tremendous value in some of them. And some, I was like, this is the biggest waste of time ever what do you see in the companies who go through your certification process on the before and then the after? Like if you were to hit the biggest impact points, what is actually happening from a top-down level in the companies?
5: Yeah. So I think what a lot of people are seeing is there's a lot of aha moments, right? They're thinking that they're doing something right. And then once they take our survey and really get granular with their HR practices and what they're doing day in and day out, they're like, wow, we really weren't doing that at all, right? I mean, now we've got some data around, we really weren't taking care of our employees or we really weren't worried about their well-being, or we really weren't, you know, developing our leaders or talking about de We thought we were, we checked a box and we thought we were, but then when we really get down to it and analyze it, we really weren't doing that. And so I think this is a moment where this is a lot of self-awareness Um, And this is a coaching piece and a development piece for HR teams to really see. So I think a lot of the things that happen with them is that these are ways to continuously develop. And as we know, people are changing. They're not the same as they were 25 years ago. The American dream has changed. You know what people are really looking for. I mean, people want purpose. They want a company that values something. Um, and stands for something. It's not just putting something on their website. It's not just plastering something and saying, okay, well, here you go. No, what are you really talking about? What are you really doing? And so we dig in and we peel the layers of that onion back for HR teams to really kind of see what they're doing, but then we give them the tangible data. So now it's not like, okay, you're telling me that I wasn't worried about this. No, here's the data, Here, here you go, right? And then they love that. They love that experience because then it's like, okay, now we have some things to work with. Now we have some conversations and you as that employee, you're going to feel better because you're going to see changes. You're going to see that things are going to look different. They're going to feel different, but you're going to be more incorporated in that. And that's what a lot of companies go through our certification and our analysis. They're really finding and they're really finding some positive results because now they have tangible data to go off of. And now they can really strategize and they can make you, Michael, now feel like you're a valued employee because now they're self-aware, right? And it takes a lot of that to really be able to help you within an organization. It takes a lot of self-awareness, so.
0: And Trevor, okay. you and I share similar backgrounds, one as junior achievement alumni and still mm-hmm. participating in supporting junior achievement. So I wanna thank you. And honor you for that because it's a very impactful thing for the future. I always say the entrepreneurs. I just got done filming my last episodes of Two Minute Drill, and it was very apparent that the entrepreneurs are going to save the world. And the stu- I mean, my favorite one was, uh, and I can't tell you what happened to the pitch, but uh, plastics that can be made from crab shells, and so uh, uh, unbelievable, they they actually last longer than plastic. They're better uh, of preserving. That was just contained by uh, what's called Crito Micro. uh, I'm not going to blow it now because there was something (laughs) else really long. Uh, But that was one of the things that we share. The others is at heart, uh, I think all four of us at heart are just sales leaders. And Mm. I found it really interesting that now utilizing the skills, the knowledge, and desire that you have at the highest level as a sales leader. To help facilitate this HR certification and support uh, in world class support that varies in all industries. How much of your sales background and leadership skills, knowledge, and desire are applicable to the support and the service that you give uh, there to the HR industry? What oh, must be delay? you guys hear me?
5: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, like I said, HR is the founding. Oh yeah. 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 I can hear you now. Sorry. Can you go back a little bit? I, I didn't. Hear yeah. You I was just saying, how do you apply?
0: So you're you're obviously an elite salesperson and applying the skills, knowledge, and desire, uh, as an amazing salesperson to HR, because mm-hmm. you know, you're at the highest level now in this employer's Institute, uh, but I feel as if your sales background is very applicable to what you do today.
5: Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, at, at, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I'm here to help people. Right. I think sales were here to, you know, be critical in solving problems. Okay. So that that's what we're really here to do. And we're really here to uncover that. So that's what I love about sales is at the end of the day, I'm here to uncover what's your pain points. What's keeping you up at night? What don't you feel, you know, positive about or whatever those things are, I'm here to help you. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I think sometimes salespeople get a bad rap, but we're really here to solve problems. We're really here to be a, a support engine and a help. Um, and I think, you know, I think that, you know, the HR community needs a lot of that right now. Right. I mean, there's so many challenges right now. You know, DEI, you know, the political landscape, global economy, you know, how people want to work, how they want to live. All those kind of things are always challenging and they're never going to end. Right. <laughs> it's always going to be evolving. And so that's where I think, you know, myself and my team, who's fantastic, That's how we're really here to help HR teams understand what they're going through, understand the pain, understand what they really need. And we're here to support them with that and kind of help guide them um, and give them the tools and resources that they need to be successful on a consistent basis. Because at the end of the day, when you're with an organization, it's not just about being consistent for two years you want to be consistent for 30 years, 40, 50 years. I mean that's that's part of why, why we're entrepreneurs or why you get into things. You want to be impacting your communities and people for generations and decades and a long time. And so that takes work, right? It's not as simple as, hey, I can do this and tid and and you know, I'll figure it out next week. No, it's continuing to build, it's continuing to scale and develop. And that's what we're here to support HR teams with.
0: Yeah, and everyone will tell you the greatest leaders of all business, the greatest leaders of all countries that it is the people that are its greatest assets and the people practices that are assisted with, with Top Employers Institute. Our friend Trevor Bogan, top-employers.com. If you need the right processes, the right support to take advantage of your greatest asset, people, that's where you need to go. Trevor, please come back. Thank you so much. Uh, for everything. Great advice, great insight. The two Michaels and I are blessed to have you here. Come back and visit us soon.
5: Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate it. And and thank you for the time. So
0: we'll see you soon. All right. Take care. Right on. Great job. All right. It was a dose of positivity today. Three for three. Unbelievable insights and wisdom uh, as we are. Gentlemen, who would like to go first and give me their takeaway of the day?
3: yeah i'll I'll pop in yeah yeah uh i i had a thought i went and saw that um operation freedom what i can't remember the name of the movie it just came out um and at the end of the film you could gift tickets to people who could not afford to go and see the film and at the end of the film i gifted something like i think 10 tickets was the value of what the purchase was and I remember thinking on my drive home, I'm like, this should be every movie and everything that we ever do ever. Because for some of us, if I can afford a dollar and you can't, uh, it's not going to kill me to spend two. And and I think so frequently we get caught up in not giving. And I think both Wendy and Justin pointed to this and I thought it was really powerful. It made me think about this film and, and my my experience at the end of it is that the people who are giving today will give no matter how much money that they have and the people who don't won't. And I'm just like, how do we get more people to give? And my my biggest takeaway today is just kind of thinking about that and thinking broken and how I want to continue to build our mission by giving.
2: Love it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love what they said. Um, everyone has something like you said, or going off where you said to give. And we're afraid sometimes when we have that feeling like, oh, we need to solve that problem We get caught up in the process of how. Instead of just leaning into it and putting out that frequency and just keep leaning into it with what you have and you'll attract people that are a little higher and you can go work with them and you keep building. And for me, it's like, like you said, just simplify it. Whatever you have, if it's bringing value to someone else, it's valuable at the end of the day, right? So just do this. I bought a lady, she's a nurse, right? Yesterday, struggling. I saw her, I'd work with nurses. I could see she was struggling. I said, you okay? She said, no, all I wanted today, I'm a hospice nurse. I just wanted pasta. And there was no, the not pasta sauce. And she had bread and peanut butter. I was like, cool, I'll buy it for you. She's like, why? And I said, when was the last time someone did something for you? She goes, I don't remember. And I just, it's nothing. And I bought it for her and in the parking lot she goes, I just need to hug you. It was a couple bucks, but it made her realize that I appreciated her. That's right. And it's like those things, whatever you have in that moment, you said it beautifully. Just that little thing makes the difference.
0: I want a hug. <laughs> Group hug. Come <laughs> on, I'm broken. Give me some milk uh, <laughs> All right. <my> God. <laughs> You know, it's interesting because my takeaway is right in the title of the first guest is a lifestyle investor. uh, We immediately think about uh, Robin Leach and the lifestyles of the Mm. rich and famous. (laughs) And it was funny because I only thought about (laughs) (laughs) yeah, the older ones. Um, (laughs) But as a lifestyle investor, you know, what is your alignment with the lifestyle you want, which would be inclusive of the appreciation acknowledgement and the community of this value add that michael diamond was talking about and a lot of times when we're looking at uh whether it was justin or wendy or trevor their lifestyle investment was in a certain amount of people a certain people a certain place with certain things and there has to be a weighted balance according to your own values. And that value, hopefully, is within the context of value-add, not zero-sum. And very few people will invest solely in themselves. Um, and when we invest in others, we are investing in ourselves. So my takeaway is know what lifestyle you want and then invest in it every day. Invest in it in a trajectory where you'd like to be or better. I do this every day as well. Investing in myself by bringing the highest quality vibration and frequency of people like Mike Diamond, like Michael Unbroken. Make sure you're following you guys. Make sure you get a dose of positivity. It will change your perspective. That will change your life. Listen to Michael Broken. His podcast is amazing as well. I appreciate both of you. We got Joe Dispenza next week on Thursday. We got all kinds of great stuff going on. Let me know what I need to do to get you guys to join us in Santa Barbara next Thursday. Uh It was an amazing... We had Guru Dev, John Aseroff. We had Forbes Riley. We had amazing... We had Chicharito there. What is uh, it? Next Friday- Thursday
2: for dinner, you mean? Is that what you Yeah,
0: saying? it's Santa Barbara. There's a men's retreat during the day that uh, I'm sure you guys can speak at uh during the day. Uh, But there's a dinner at night with a uh, special guest, Joe Dispenza and many others, by the way. Uh, But more importantly, uh yeah, we had... We brought it last night man we had uh, some of my favorite people but my favorite was the surprise guest was chicharito and guru dev uh, if you don't know who they are chicharito is one of the greatest if not greatest premier mexican soccer player of all time highest scorer in the premier league uh, mexican player and what a humble soul uh he was and he sat there humbly and he brought it with the likes of guru dev and john Asaroff. Uh, you would have thought he was jack canfield the way he was spewing knowledge and wisdom, just like you two. Thank you for joining me. We look forward to seeing you guys soon. Love you both. Thanks for joining us. All right. The double mics in the house. It's office hours. If you want to join us anywhere, we're in New York this week, by the way, I'll be in New York tomorrow. We have a sold out dinner. um, So if you want to get on the wait list, you can go ahead and email me. We do have a free meetup in Times Square, right by our Apple TV Billboard for Two Minute Drill. Uh, it's right there at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on Times Square at 1500 Broadway. Come and join us. We'd love to meet you in person, give you a book, sign it, take some pictures, answer questions. I am of service and of value. And then next week we'll be in Santa Barbara with our special guest. You got to email me, david at dmelser.com. If you can't keep up with everywhere we're at, go ahead, text me, join our community, be alerted where we're going, 949-298-2905. Remember, most importantly, be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow from New York. Take care.